Hey there, this is Sophie. Before we get started in our deep dive podcast conversation today, I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy our podcast, you might also enjoy some of the other great content we have available for you on YouTube, our blog, and on our website. Check it out, russellinvestments.com. Clients value the behavioral coaching over and above everything else. When the markets are going great, clients get into this you know, state of euphoria about the markets. We have a fear of missing out, and when the markets go up, it's when we have this natural inclination to want to get in because we don't want to miss out on what everybody's talking about. But then when things go bad, you know, for example, you know, in February, you know, I said the S&P index closed at a record high. You know, within the next few weeks, if you had 105,000, let's say, or 100,000 in the market at that period, your portfolio but by March 23rd that week would have gone down probably $30,000, $40,000. All of a sudden, they began to panic. And we saw that with the exodus of $335 billion actually coming out. If you would have stayed the course and maybe done a little bit of rebalancing along the way, you know, you would have had instead of 100 to 105,000, you may have had 118,000 based on some of the numbers that we've looked at. Otherwise, if you miss some of those very important days in the market, you could have actually ended up with a negative return during that time period. Welcome to the Helping Advisors podcast by Russell Investments. I'm Sophie Antel-Gibert, Head of North America Portfolio and Business Consulting for Russell Investments Advisor and Intermediary Solutions Business. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am really excited about our conversation here today around the value of an advisor. So the value that advisors deliver to their clients and to their investors. For those of you that have been following or maybe partnering with Russell Investments for any amount of time, you are no doubt familiar with our very popular value of an advisor study that we have been doing on an annual basis for Oh, probably about six or seven years at this point. Um, and it's always a great fanfare when we come out with a new edition that truly tries to reflect what is the advisor experience? What is the investor experience? And how has that been evolving? And where is it likely to evolve to? So 2021, our release now of the 2021 version is especially exciting because of everything that 2020 was and wasn't for advisors and investors. We all know that any plans that any of us had for 2020 ended up looking very, very different. And advisors and investors were not spared that either. Their relationship was oftentimes tested um, in many, many different ways of what are our goals? What are our preferences? What are our circumstances? Everything is changing. How can I sort of communicate that as an investor to my advisor? And how can I make sure that I'm best supporting my clients as an advisor. Joining me today to talk about the value of an advisor in 2021, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to dive deeper um, with two of my favorite Russell Investments colleagues. First of all, Tom Flynn, who is a regional director for advisors in the Washington, D.C. area, Virginia, and Maryland. So advisors from that area that are tuning into this, count yourselves lucky. Tom is a phenomenal regional director, and we're thrilled to have him join us here today. 
Tom is really exceptional because he comes with such depth of experience. He's been a regional director for 14 years, 10 of those luckily at Russell Investments, lucky for us. But he's going to share his perspective on working with advisors, helping them really be able to flesh out the value that they deliver to clients and how they can continue to elevate that value over time. So welcome, Tom. Thanks, Sophie. And then second, we are joined by none other than Tina Downing, who is a senior business solutions director and lead on our business solutions team called in other groups, uh, practice management. But Tina has a wealth of experience, not only as an advisor, but also coaching advisors throughout the U.S. and Canada on how to make their businesses more valuable, more efficient, more effective, and how to really differentiate differentiate themselves in what is becoming an increasingly crowded marketplace. Thank you so much, Tina, and welcome. Thrilled to be with you today, Sophie. Terrific. So our value of an advisor formula this year has changed a little bit in reflection of 2021 or 2020 having been such a different year and that sort of, you know, charting what is likely to be a slightly different course for the future for advisors and for investors. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the formula, hopefully the formula actually rolls right off your tongue like it does ours. A-B-C-P-T. Now, if you're not driving, um, you might want to jot down those letters. If you are driving, you might want to pull over for a second and jot down those letters because those are going to be the foundation of the conversation that we're going to be having today um, in today's episode and also in the in the next few episodes as we work through every single component in the formula to give you ideas for how can you make sure that you're communicating and delivering your value with conviction um, to your clients. So again, it's A, which stands for active rebalancing of investment portfolios, B, which stands for behavioral coaching, C, which stands for customized client experience and planning, P, which stands for product alignment, and T, which stands for tax smart planning and investing. Now, for those of you who are familiar, you might have already detected a couple of the changes that we have made in the formula in order to be able to reflect the changed nature of the sort of reality for advisors and investors. For those of you who are new to it, you will find out where the changes are in the conversation with Tom and Tina. We'll definitely dive into those areas. But let's go ahead and start in this episode today with the values around A and P. So all around active rebalancing of investment portfolios and behavioral coaching. And Tom, I'd like to start with you, maybe around the A, when you think of the value that advisors deliver around active rebalancing of investment portfolios, what comes to mind for you there? What's interesting, Sophie, is you mentioned the change and right out of the gate, this is where we made... um, one of the first changes, if, if you recall, previously this was annual rebalancing, right? And so annual rebalancing was something that, you know, I always felt uh, at times was taken for granted um, by investors and even by ad- advisors and the, and the uh, investment community in general, simply because of the fact that it's one of the first things we learn when we get into the business. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a box that you check on an application or now on, on online that you annually re- rebalance your portfolio. And, you know, over the years, we've fleshed out the uh, the benefits of that, right? Making sure that your portfolio doesn't drift into something and morph into something that you didn't intend for it to be. Um, but the change we made here now is we're going to go from annual rebalancing, which obviously is important, to active rebalancing. And, you know, Tina, has there been a year 
you know, in recent memory where active rebalancing would have had a bigger impact on a, a positive impact on a client portfolio than 2020, right? I mean, you'd probably have to go back to the financial crisis. You'd have to go back to the tech bubble, periods at which you saw such a dramatic drop in asset prices where being active and going ahead and saying, I'm not going to wait for my, my uh, anniversary date. I'm going to go in or my advisor is going to go in and actually rebalance the portfolio. Because I, I think that one of the things that I've always heard, um, especially when the markets drop like they did in, in, in this time last year, was people say that want to be opportunistic. They often say, you know, what should I buy? What should I be buying? I know I should be buying something. In a year like 2020, that was a very difficult question to answer. But by simply active, re, by doing active rebalancing, you just buy more of what you already own. Tina, do you remember a time in which you had a, a bigger impact in terms of rebalancing? Well, if you think about some of the major things that have happened in the markets, I mean, let's talk about the tech bubble bursting. Right. You know, when the tech bubble burst, all of a sudden, you know, we saw asset flows out of mutual funds and passive ETFs happen in a big way. There were probably 20 billion in assets that actually left the markets during that time. We saw it again in the global financial crisis when there was about 105 billion actually left the markets at that time. What a wonderful time to actually really think about rebalancing and when it was really important. But then when you look at February of last year, in February, we experienced the highest part of the S&P 500. And literally weeks later, the March 23rd timeframe, it was so much lower than that. And 335 billion actually left. So when you think about that, it's more than 15 times the amount of exodus from the markets from the tech bubble bursting and over three times the exodus from the global financial crisis. It's no more important than it has been this last year than I've ever seen it in history in the 30 years that I've actually been in the business. Yeah. And, and then when you also see the the how quick the rebound happened, having that discipline to rebalance and doing it in a timely fashion made all the difference in the world. If you think about where the markets ended up last year. It also means that clients are thinking about their risk tolerance, right? Because every client has a different tolerance or even definition for risk. And when you see things get volatile like they did last year, all of a sudden that risk, when you look at pure numbers, when you really look at the dollars, when you see your statement and what happens, it has a major impact in the amount of risk we're actually willing to take versus what we think we're willing to take over time. Yeah. And I, th I think also sometimes we can, we can turn off that feature in our, in our minds and, and kind of want to ride the wave. And you saw that not just with equities and, and U.S. equities specifically, but also within U.S. equities, growth versus value, right? Everybody wanted to be on that growth trade um, and ride that as long as, as they could, even though they saw the disparity between growth and value being at higher levels than it had been in, um, even since the tech bubble. And then all of a sudden, boom, March, April of last year, that all changes. So not only by by being active and rebalancing just your overall portfolio, right? Your 60-40 becomes a 50-50. Well, if you rebalance, you're back to it. You just bought 10% more equities, generally speaking, but then also rebalancing within equities and saying, hey, there's a there's another side of equities that haven't haven't really gotten their due in recent years. And, and that was the value side. And what happened in the second half of the year, specifically the fourth quarter? All of a sudden you started to see the value trade take off. So rebalancing not only just what 
you know, regionally and asset class wise, but also within the asset class, what you own, growth and value. So, you know, being active around that, I think, um, you know, 2020 was your year. Yeah. And what can happen if they do nothing? When an investor decides to do nothing, we see this all the time, you know, when advisors will send us a portfolio to analyze and to do some comparison to our portfolios. And a lot of times, if the investor has done nothing, it could completely change the risk tolerance of the profile. They may have had, you know, a 60-40 balanced portfolio at one time and doing nothing over time, their, their portfolio may look very, very different and more like a 75-25 portfolio, which is a completely different risk level for the clients over time. It's interesting you bring that up, Tina, because I mean, the the, the numbers bear that out, right? I mean, a, a portfolio at the beginning of 2009 that was 60-40 at the beginning of 2009, unrebalanced by the end of 2020 would have been exactly what you're describing, that sort of 75-25 type of um, portfolio. And Tom, it sounds like you were going to make the point. And, yeah. and you've also aged, yeah, right? So we're aged, not all right? Rip Van Winkle. So, <laughs> yeah. right, exactly. So you're 50 years old and you go into a balanced portfolio because that's appropriate for you. You don't rebalance, which is actually an active decision, by the way. Advisors should be, be communicating that to their clients as to why they're doing the rebalancing and when you know have a, a rebalancing policy. But if you're 50 years old in a 60-40 and you don't rebalance, 10 years later, you're in a 75-25 or an 80-20 and you're 10 years closer to retirement than you were, which is probably not the portfolio that you want to be in five years, 10 years away from retirement. So um, there's value in the, in the rebalancing, both annually and actively. But I, I think that if an advisor does not communicate upfront as to when and why and the circumstances and situations in which they would rebalance, it might come as a surprise to the client, right? Why would we rebalance? Um, we're doing so well with the current portfolio or current allocation, or why would we rebalance when the market drops? So you have to have that conversation, not when the market drops or, or 10 years later, you have to have that conversation upfront as to what your rebalancing policy is and the benefits it has to the client. So Thomas, it's a great point too, and it actually made a real difference for the client. You know, we looked at a period between March of 2005 to the end of last year, the end of December of last year in 2020, and it actually made a difference in return to the client if they actually actively rebalances versus just having a buy and hold strategy. It also reduced volatility. So it really is a win-win to reduce risk and volatility and actually gain more return. And I think also the the reduction of volatility probably leads us into the the next component, which is helping to manage. I don't let I don't want to steal the show, Sophie. So you can terrific, Tom. You're doing my job for me. I love it. This is perfect. Absolutely, it is a great segue into B. So that second component of our value of an advisor formula, all around behavioral coaching. And Tina, I was hoping you might be able to lead us in that discussion. It sort of leads off well from where you just ended with, you know, it helps us be able to manage risk. What are some of the ways that an advisor is adding value, especially if you think about advisors that you're working with, how do you see them adding value to their clients from a behavioral coaching that almost putting our psychologist hat on as an advisor, putting the CFA and the CFP to side for a moment, they're very, very valuable. But um, sometimes we also need to level set with people just from an emotional perspective. What do you observe there? And what have you found to be the most effective? I personally think that the the B or, or 
the behavioral coaching or just the role of client psychologists is probably one of the most important that they that advisors do, right? One of the most important roles that they even have, because you can be the smartest person in the world if you can't get people to behave in a, in a proper manner in terms of around their investing, investing and the and their plan, their financial plan, because it goes well beyond just the, the markets. It goes beyond. It goes into their financial planning and all of that. If you can be the, you can build the greatest plan and have the greatest market strategy, but if you can't actually get anyone to stay the course or do what they need to do. Um, it all goes out the window. So we, you mentioned the, the 50 best days or the 20 best days. I think we've all seen a version of that visual at some point in our careers. And uh, last year was a perfect year to resurrect that if you haven't used it. The 50 best days or the 20 best days aren't randomly scattered on the calendar over the course of a 10-year period. Your 50 best days or your 20 best days come on the heels of your worst days. They're neighbors. They're best friends. The issue is we usually we experience the bad days and then we get out before we can experience the good days. And because they come on the heels of, of them, you, you need those. So just being able to manage a client's behavior, right? It's it's kind of instilling this process and this education in, in folks well ahead of time, probably during the onboarding process, even in the in the courting stage, right? Where an advisor is, is looking to onboard a client and and you know, why should I choose you? Well, you know, explaining your philosophy around helping clients manage um, the, the emotional part of investing and financial planning is key. So it doesn't start on March 23rd of 2020, right? That's not when you start coaching folks on their behavior. It starts well prior to that. I agree with that, Tom. I mean, the education part is key, right? Because when you think about it, there are actually two parts of the brain. When you think about behavioral finance, one is the thinking part of the brain. That's really the logical, methodical part of the brain that doesn't just happen automatically when things are happening in our lives. What actually is on all the time is that blink part of our brain. That's the part that makes us react. It gives us this visceral reaction to things, right? So it gives us that fight or flight or flee kind of reaction, right? And if you can help the clients understand that as you're starting to work with them and understand the philosophy of why you recommended what you did and how you would anticipate it actually performing and working during good and bad markets, and then reminding them along the way that Mr. and Mrs. Client, and this is the blink part of the brain happening. That's where this emotional stuff comes in. One of the reasons that you work with me is so we can start to really think about all of the concerns that you have and how it actually affects your outcomes over time. Really in instituting that I am going to part, be part of that reflective, more methodical part you know, of the thinking process for us. Hey, we're just going to take a quick break here, but we'll be back shortly. Hey, it's Julie, your productivity and readiness expert at Vessel Investments. We'll get back to the podcast in just a sec. But first, a question we hear from financial professionals over and over is, how do I make my investment practice stand out from the one across the street? We're all looking for ways to be unique. One powerful way is by becoming a tax-managed investing expert. Our latest value of advisor study shows that taking a tax smart approach can provide enough value to investors that more than justifies a reasonable fee. And if you're thinking tax management sounds like too much work, don't, because Russell Investments can provide you with tax smart models that can help with all that portfolio management. Visit us at russellinvestments.com to learn more and start setting your practice apart with a tax managed approach. Or then again, maybe you could just repaint your lobby. That might help too. And we're back. 
nowadays we're not necessarily meeting with clients um, in person anymore. But when we were, when, you know, remembering back to the days, the good old days when we all had offices and we met with our clients, to what extent do you both think and have you observed that the office environment that an advisor maintains makes a difference as well? It's sort of like, you know, this is the setting within which we meet and the setting influences or doesn't influence the nature of your conversation. What what is your guys' experience been on that? Maybe Tina, if you want to start. Yeah, I think it's critical because think about when you're on a Zoom call with someone. One of the first things I do is kind of click on the picture and I pin the picture and I want to see the background. A lot of times it's curiosity, but when a client sees your office and sees that is organized. Clients also worry about advisors working from home. Are they able to still do the things that they do for you in the way that they did when they were in the office? And organization gives you this emotional calm when things actually get chaotic. I also think that when you get back in the office, that philosophy is still the same. Your office still has to be organized to give the client that sense of calm. I, I completely agree. I mean, if you see, if you walk into an office and it's cluttered and it's messy and it's disorganized, well, then chances are behaviorally that's going to be the way even that advisor probably philosophically maybe acts as well, right? I, I also think the way that you start a client meeting, right? If you start a client meeting or a client review and the first thing you talk about is the markets and the client's performance of their portfolio and you slide that across the desk, well, guess what? Your what message you are sending to the client is that is the most important thing because it is agenda item number one. The advisors can't necessarily be surprised when all of a sudden the markets are doing crazy things and they want to react to it. And you try to tell them, well, that's not important. You need to stay the course. And well, wait a minute, for 10 years, you've slid a performance sheet across the desk to me as the first item that we discussed. And we talked about the markets for the first 15 minutes of our review meeting. So I think it goes to the the office environment. It goes to the way that you um, set up the meeting, the way you start your meetings, um, the agenda items that you send out to clients, right? That all affects their behavior. If you send in it, first of all, I hope everybody's sending agenda items to their clients, right? Ahead of time, not just two minutes before the meeting, but an agenda item ahead of time shows the priorities, right? And you know, if they if they see that in some review meetings, performance update or market update isn't even on the agenda because there's bigger things to tackle, what does that do mentally? It kind of says, okay, wait a minute, maybe that's not the focal point. And maybe we should be discussing other things in our financial plan and, and, and around our, our situation. So I think, I think it all kind of ties together. One thing that I'm hearing out of all of this in terms of the behavioral coaching is really sort of being able to provide clients with perspective, poise, and process. Perspective of, yes, you have goals, you have circumstances, you have preferences. We want to be able to customize around those. And there's sort of the perspective on the markets around that as well, right? It's not just about what we want and how we wish we could have it, but there are also market ramifications and market situations, market unknowns that that suddenly happen, as well as process. We have process and that process gets reflected in how my office is organized. It gets reflected in how the agendas that we set with clients are, are framed and in you know sort of our, our regular course of business. And then the poise, how do I how do I provide calm for my clients? How do I provide rationale? How do I provide that sort of reflection for my clients, especially when the markets are going up and down? How do I help them be able to not 
miss those good days, not miss those bad days and the payoff in the good days that come. So it sounds like there's sort of a, a, a three P's element there of, um, of perspective, poise and process as part of that behavioral coaching that, that we encourage advisors to engage with their clients. Tina and uh, Tom, this has been great. I'm really excited that we've been able to cover our first two letters of our 2021 value of an advisor formula. We just talked about A, that active rebalancing of our investment portfolios and B, all around that behavioral coaching. I'm really excited to have an opportunity to sit down with you again very soon to talk about the rest of the formula. I think next time we'll focus on the values around C, that customized client experience and planning and P, all around the product alignment that advisors provide to their clients. So thank you both for joining and thank you all for listening. We will be back again soon with the rest of the value of an advisor formula. This episode was recorded on April 22nd in Washington, D.C., St. Louis, and Seattle.